Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Matthew Libia. This episode is super exciting because it shows the whole journey from intern all the way up to software architect and now entrepreneur as Matthew has started his own company, SalesPath, over in Paris. Oh, and I didn't even mention this was all within five years. So listen to today's episode to really get an idea of how you can hit that inside track if you're trying to advance your career and eventually become an entrepreneur yourself. Before we jump into today's episode, I do have a couple of announcements. Firstly, the Discord server continues to grow and I'd be really keen for people to join so we can knowledge share and give each other career tips. We win together. And secondly, if you want to support the Code of Career as a brand, because remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a whole content creation network and eventually a platform to get a job, I've also opened up a Patreon page. Please don't feel pressured to signing up for this, but if you want to take part, you're helping improve the production value of this podcast and speed up the development of the jobs platform as well. There's a litany of benefits on there, and if anyone's got any questions about it, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or Discord, and I'm happy to provide more information. But for now, it's time to grab a coffee, push your commits, and enjoy the show. Hey, Matthew, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, thank you. How are you? I'm not bad, thanks. I'm not bad. Just saying off air how it's been a good like three years since we've uh, properly spoken. So um, yeah, good good opportunity to uh, to get chatting again, especially in such an exciting time in your career. So uh, yeah, for uh, for listeners who uh, haven't come across you before, or maybe haven't seen you on LinkedIn, what what do you do? What's your what's both your day job and what are you now moving into? Do you want to say a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so, uh, as you said, uh, three years ago, uh, we were working in the same company, um, which is Talent.io. Uh, a lot of you probably know about it. Uh, it's a recruitment uh, platform, and I was uh, uh, the first uh, software engineer for uh, that company. Uh, I joined as an intern, uh, what's that, uh, six or seven years ago now. Uh, so I've grown in this company, and uh, and now... Uh, well, a couple of months ago, I um, I finally decided to leave the nest and uh, spread my CTO co-founder wings uh, to launch a new startup. What we're really going to hear in this episode is literally the journey from intern CTO. So that is already the podcast title that I'm going for. So um, it, I'm sure there'll be a lot of value in this, in this episode, but especially for people with the entrepreneurial ambitions. So the way we like to normally warm things up on TCC is uh, some quick fire questions. Uh, obviously, I've fired those over to you in advance. Um, so you have the developer edition ones. Uh, what was your first ever computer is question one. The first ever computer was probably uh, when I was uh, 13 or 14, mostly for uh, homework and uh, and gaming. Nice. Uh, and my worst, my, my first uh, developer computer was provided by uh, Talent.io, uh, so oh, my, first, really? uh, my first employer. Very nice. And um, what, what kind of games were you playing on that, uh, on that first computer? Uh, it was a long time ago, but I, I used to play... Um, uh, Baldur's Gate for the nerds out there. Oh, nice. Uh, Trackmania. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done a, a whole lot of Trackmania uh, and a couple others. Nice. Uh, but these these days are over for me. Yeah, it's pretty much over for me as well, sadly. Like, uh, the, the worst part of being an adult is the fact that you have the money to afford games, but you don't have the time. Uh, and... <laughs> uh yeah so i would love to i'd love to put some serious hours in like it depresses me when i look back on steam and just see like the hours played that i had in certain games and then 
nowadays i could never i could barely even play one without feeling guilty um for yeah, wasting well, time as, as i say uh you don't have the time you really you should take the time uh, but uh, i decide not to take the time to play video games these days even though uh, the covid pandemic uh, uh, helped me get back into the games a little bit like uh, yeah. like uh, i finally played the witcher and the uh, portal so the other good thing about being uh, being a busy adult as well means that you can play games a couple of years behind so you don't need to keep your computer 100% up to spec and you can buy the games when they're on sale uh, that's a little tip i found um for uh, <laughs> helps me cope a little bit um and what about in terms of te tech itself we did work together in the same company um I, I, as we said but obviously you're over in the paris hq and i was over in london both great tech cities uh would one of those be your favorite tech city or is it somewhere else well i've never worked in london i've been there a while but i've never worked there uh my girlfriend used to to work there and uh, and uh, from what i understand uh, the culture is very similar uh, in startups, uh, so you'll find uh, mostly the same kind of people, uh, same kind of job. Uh, so I guess it boils down to uh, whether, whether you like the city or not. Uh, for me, I'm pretty sure I'd be happy uh, in both. I would say uh, what uh, pushes over the line for me is, is the food in Paris is much better uh, than the food in London and uh, also as well. The fact that I believe it's the law, you can't eat your lunch at your desk. And that's what I always liked when I came over to work in the Paris office was how lunch was a really social occasion uh, in French offices, which I thought was cool. Yeah, well, if you if you value a, a one hour and a half break at lunch, uh, for sure, come to Paris, not London. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you fancy a Tesco meal deal at your desk um, while you're answering some emails, then come to London. Um, but uh, <laughs> and what, what, what about uh, when you're not on lunch break and you're, you're getting down to some code? Um, what type of music do you like to listen to while you work? Um, so while I'm working, I usually let uh, YouTube or uh, Spotify decide for me. And, uh, and uh, whenever someone uh, uh, comes by and they recommend one, I'll put it on. Because I, I blast music into the office um, uh, without a headset. And uh, so, judge me if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, uh, some other people uh, come and join. Uh, so you know we switch uh, we switch laptops uh, um, every every, uh, every half an hour or so when uh, whenever someone uh, is uh, is uh, not happy with the music. That's how I was going to say. Yeah, does anyone get veto rights or like what if someone's <laughs> putting on some absolute garbage? Yeah, it depends on seniority <laughs> mostly. <laughs> and that's where your CTO, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. And yeah, well, when you are working, would you say you're an early bird or a night owl? Definitely a night owl uh, by by some margin. Like uh, if if I uh, if I let my body decide, I, I'll probably wake up at eleven and go to bed uh, uh, working late at three in the morning. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why. It's just the way it is. Yeah, it's definitely more common. I found as a developer to be a night owl. Um, I originally was, but I've I, I think I officially have shifted now. Um, back to uh, over to early bird, but um, yeah, it took me a long, long time uh, to gradually, uh, gradually shift over. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of devs tend to do their best work at night. Um, I occasionally get on an absolute mad one and uh, code until like four in the morning, and then I throw my sleep cycle out of whack. But that's the best code I've written in 
ever. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. And um, what about before you wanted to become a software engineer? Uh, I mean, unless you wanted to do that from a very young age, uh, what, what, what was the first uh, job you wanted when you were a kid? Right. So I don't have a good answer for you on this one. Um, so uh, I was a math nerd for, uh, for a long time. Um, so initially, um, once I, um, uh, once I got into the, the, the central or uh, the French school, uh, the natural path was to go towards, uh, finance. So to become a, a quant, uh, that was the logical path. Uh, but then things shifted and, uh, and, uh, people with math skills, uh, got more and more into data science. Uh, that was a new opening for uh, for this kind of skills, so I got into that, and uh, the plan was to was to do that. So maybe uh, do a PhD uh, and uh, and work for uh, DeepMind or whatever. Uh, but um, and that's where my uh, journey uh, changed. Uh, talking with uh, data scientists, uh, they all said that uh, you want to start with a software engineer uh, internship because you will need it. You will need the coding skills. So uh, I did that and I never left. <laughs> very, uh, very nice. I think this is often, uh, it's often the case. And that leads me really nicely into my, my first um, proper question, so to speak, is um, you've already explained a bit about how your journey uh, in, into tech started. Do you want to go in and into a bit more depth about you know that process of going off to university, studying, deciding, um, you know, getting getting that first internship at Talent.io, learning Ruby on Rails, like um, I, there's a lot to unpack there. How, how did that all happen? There is, there is. Um, so um, the thing in, uh, in the French school system is that there are some really good schools and uh, employers are uh, pretty much uh, don't care about your, your current skills, uh, but they their thought process is that if you come from this school and you're motivated you'll you'll learn the job quick enough uh so that's what talentio did with me um i had coded a little bit uh, for uh for school projects but that's it uh but they trusted me with uh with uh, uh building uh, a lot of uh, what makes talentio um so that's how uh, i got the internship mostly through uh, uh, the school, um, and then so you want to talk about uh, how I got into Ruby on Rails, um, which is the framework that we use. We use. Um, so uh, that's the tech stack that Tantia was using, uh, and uh, I have a, a strong stance on uh, on the technologies that the developer uses. I, I think it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, most of what you learn is is tech agnostic. Uh, so, for instance, I'm I'm hiring right now, and uh, and tech is my my last uh, criteria. Um, I agree with you on that point. I think um, at the end of the day, all programming fundamentals, no matter the language, are the same. And I always find it surprising when companies rule people out based on the fact that, particularly if it's a more niche one. I mean, Ruby on Rails is obviously mainstream, but uh, take something like Golang, which only has had major popularity in the last couple of years, like people being ruled out because they don't have Golang experience when, you know, say you already know, like you know how to write a loop in Python, 
like you know what the problem is um it's not exactly hard to research the syntax of the new language so i uh, I, I agree with you for sure on that and i'll, I'll go even um uh, stronger on this uh i tend to think that uh good code uh, should look tech agnostic like for instance on rails there's a lot of um, magic parts or dark magic that you can use uh, my stance is that you should avoid using this and stick to uh, uh, patterns that are recognizable by uh, people in all uh, in the whole industry uh, so you know i favor those patterns in, instead of uh, powerful but hard to uh, hard to understand uh, uh, magical bits of the the specific framework you're using absolutely yeah it's always good to think about um what would someone in five years time uh think if they came across my code uh and they didn't have the specific domain knowledge like you can have a very nifty solution but sometimes people get so caught up in like playing uh what's that they call it code golf um where you just try and make the solution tiny and super concise and uh using some elaborate uh solution when actually if you go for the most common design pattern, I guess would be the word for a solution, then it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's the way forward. And um, yeah. I, I totally agree. And I'll, uh, well, let's meet to my next point, uh, which is that initially in my uh, Ruby on Rails journey, um, a lot of the uh, difficulty I would say was to um, uh, separate in my mind, uh, what's real specific and what's uh, common with other languages. And uh, it took me a while to, uh, to get to the, the stance that I just uh, explained. Um, so, you know, when, when, when you start, uh, I think we have a tendency to, uh, to consider that, that everything uh, has been uh, designed by much smarter people uh, before you and that you, sh you should stick to whatever you see uh, in the in the frameworks or documentation or whatever your uh, your peers say uh, so it takes a long time to uh, you know forge your own opinion and uh, you know have a have a broad view of uh, of uh, the, the main uh, concepts of the code base mm. and and actually it's something that's uh, maybe important to consider um for us uh, in this conversation is that a lot of people are, are thinking about they're actually in the process of learning to code right now and maybe even so early on where they're trying to pick their first language would you say ruby on rails would be a um a good pick for someone if they were learning in 2022 i think it's still very relevant uh it, it used to be more relevant i think because uh, these days a javascript has taken such a um a big uh, big part of the ecosystem um, but yes, Ruby uh, cannot go wrong. It's quite similar to JavaScript now. Uh, the latest additions to JavaScript, uh, ES6, actually uh, copied a, a bunch of uh, uh, structures from uh, Ruby. Um, so it's quite similar. Uh, you just uh, change the functions uh, with blocks and, uh, and the language uh, looks the mm. same. Um, yeah, it's, it's very close to plain English as well, isn't it? So if you're yes. perhaps... If, if it is literally your first programming language, it can be, even if it's not something where you intend to use it forever, it can be a really good one to learn um, to learn as your first one. Indeed. And uh, yeah, I, I could probably show uh, most of my Ruby code to my mom who doesn't code at all. And, <laughs> uh, and she would get it because uh, it's so close to English. Brilliant. Um, and 
one additional thing too is that uh, Ruby, uh, so it was designed in the in the eighties, I believe, um, by Matsumoto, and uh, the plan was to design a language that makes the developer happy. Mm. Um, so with that in mind, you should be happy if you start with uh, with Ruby. Hopefully, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, I, I've only had limited experience with it, and yeah, it is it is fun and uh, easy to write, particularly the beginning um, the beginning points. And um, I was going to ask you as well because I think I used Code Academy um, for my basic Ruby stuff. Is there any resources you'd recommend people learn? Like maybe anything you used early on? Uh, yeah, so I. I think I, I'm definitely not alone, but it's uh, it's not what I usually see. Uh, I tend to like uh, books about programming. Um, I think it really forces you to uh, to get deep into the, the details uh, instead of uh, letting yourself uh, well, be, be guided by, uh, by a, a massive online course. So I like books a lot. Uh, there's uh, one book about Ruby, which is called uh, Metaprogramming Ruby. Uh, and it goes over uh, the nifty details of, uh, of Ruby. Uh, most of the things that you see in this book, you should probably not use. But uh, once you've built that knowledge, you're, you're basically vaccinated uh, against any Ruby. So that's a, that's a good resource. Um, and, and online... There are, uh, yeah, courses about Rails. Uh, the one I did initially was Rails for Zombies. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I've, yeah, I have a bunch of resources for uh, other languages than, uh, than Ruby, uh, but it might take an hour. <laughs> well, if you've got any in particular that you think of uh, afterwards, just uh, ping them over to me and I'll, uh, I'll get them down in the description for our dear listeners. Um, and in, in terms of your progression, we've talked about getting that first uh, internship. Um, you've been very humble in, in how you haven't explained how quickly you rose through the ranks and how highly regarded uh, you were and still are um, at Talent. How, what was your strategy to upskill so rapidly and take on more responsibility? Do you think there was any secrets you had or, or how, how would you advise someone to do that? So it's a lot of work once for one. Um, so yeah, I think initially what motivated me uh, was the imposter syndrome. Um, and uh, since then I, I found that the imposter syndrome is, uh, is huge in this industry. Um, like pretty much everybody has it. And, and you're going to meet people with five years of, five years of experience who have worked on uh, 10 different projects using uh, five different stacks, and they'll still have that syndrome. Uh, so, so I guess for, uh, for newcomers in this, in this uh, industry, um, they should know that it's normal to have this syndrome. You decide uh, how you react to that syndrome. Uh, my reaction was... Uh, uh, man, I should really get up to speed. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, I also had a, also got very lucky because when I joined, uh, I joined uh, uh, the same day as another uh, full-time uh, software engineer. And two of the co-founders uh, were uh, tech profiles. So essentially, uh, I was the intern with no experience and three mentors 
fully dedicated to uh, just myself. So I had every uh, every opportunity to to go to them and uh, and uh, get feedback uh, and uh, they would recommend resources. So you know I, I was very lucky on this one. I, equally, at the same time, though, th- this brings you back to one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Gary Player, the fa- famous golfer uh, in the 90s, uh, said, uh, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And actually uh, having the uh, tenacity to internally network and utilize the people that you're working with, you say it's luck, but, you know, it was uh, it's a skill to actually be able to accept feedback and request f- uh, feedback and do it well. So it's uh, it's a good point where, you know, a lot of people don't realize actually some of the greatest resources they have to improve themselves are their own teammates and their own leadership. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, getting mentored, uh, be it internally or externally, uh, is one of the best ways to upskill rapidly for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and then it doesn't count for everything. Uh, obviously, everybody has its own motivation. Um is willing to uh, to work extra hours or not? Um, um, so personally, I was, uh, which probably explains the the, the short time uh, needed for the the big ramp up at the beginning of the career. Um, and I think that, well, uh, you talked about how highly I was regarded. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, uh, I also think that. Uh, the opinion that your peers are going to have on you depends a lot, a lot on your uh, first month. So um, yeah, if if you're going to put the, the extra hours at some point, put them at the beginning uh, would be my uh, my advice. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a- again, I get, this is actually a weirdly specific piece of advice because it's something I learned. Um, but for uh, for maybe people that are university graduates. Don't spend your first month trying to be seen as like the really funny one in the office because I've done that in multiple jobs to various degrees of success. And it's something that took me a little bit too long to realize it, it sometimes counts against you being seen as the funny one in the office. And sometimes it will fall flat on its face. For example, at Talent, uh, I tried to be the funniest. I was not the funniest. Um, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a very specific piece of advice. Um, but try, try to avoid doing that a little bit for any, any new graduates that are listening. Um, and if 20-year-old Cam could listen, I would tell him that exactly. Uh, <laughs> and um, we, we already talked a bit about um, Paris, um, but in terms of the wider ecosystem uh, within it, most of my listeners are in the UK and the US, maybe less familiar um, with, with the Parisian tech scene. What's the scene like at the moment and how optimistic are you for the, for the future? It's awesome these days. Uh, there are a lot of new startups. Um, so Emmanuel Macron, uh, without, whether you like him or not, uh, some say that uh, he's done well for the startup scene, uh, the tech startup scene in Paris. And uh, I mean, just since uh, the beginning of the year, uh, we've had uh, five uh, unicorn announcements. Um, so, you know, to, to take with a grain of salt, because that's not the objective to be a unicorn, but uh, especially when you raise uh, huge amounts of money. Um, but uh, yeah, the tech scene is booming right now. Uh, and I also think that it's a, it's a really uh, risk-less environment. Or uh, um, really, uh, there's no way to, to, to really fail 
um, if you want to start your company. Um, so I, I've been there a couple, a couple of months ago, um, but uh, my thought process was that uh, in the worst case, uh, I don't get along with my associate. Um, we burn all the investor money and uh, we crash after a year and a half. Uh, we never find market fit and we don't make any, uh, any, uh, any uh, uh, dollars. And if you look at this, uh, that's the worst case, but still it's, it's, it's okay. It's, uh, it's still a, a good experience and you'll be able to, uh, to, uh, uh, to explain this to recruiters in the future. And it's actually going to be a, a really good thing on your resume. Absolutely. You, you either win or you learn, right? Like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's never, a, never a bad thing to get involved in that. And especially if the ecosystem is allowing for that and, I think uh, to give some context to what you said as well with the five unicorns already this year, it's January the 26th, uh, the day we're recording this. So it, it's very impressive to, in the first month alone, five unicorns. So um, exciting times for, uh, and, and do, um, do, do people need to speak French normally to, to have a job in the tech scene in Paris? Or is it more like Berlin where you can get by with English or would you recommend people learn French? Uh, both. So uh, you, you don't need it. Um, uh, at Talent, we have a couple of uh, non-French speaking um, uh, product managers and, uh, and software engineers, and they, they get along uh, just fine. Uh, you'll need French mostly after work. Uh, so uh, when, you're, when you're having a drink uh, together uh, or uh, during the lunch break, uh, that that's when you need it uh, for socializing. Uh, but um, I'd really like to debunk the fact that French uh, French people uh, cannot speak English uh, in the tech scene. That's not true. <laughs> Maybe the in the broader population it is, uh, but in, in the in the tech scene, uh, definitely not. Uh, so you can you can yeah. Our CTO actually uh, doesn't speak a word of French. Um, so that kind of uh, dictated uh, the way forward for the team. It, it, and it is true, actually, that the stereotype I, I found from working in Paris quite, uh, and uh, a lot of people do speak English, certainly more than people speak French in the UK, um, for sure. I actually did have a funny situation when I was on the Metro. Uh, last time, actually, last time I was visiting Talent's office, uh, I, um, me and a British woman both thought the other one was French. And ended up, uh, she asked me for directions to um, uh, Gardenor. And both me and her spoke in the worst, like, broken French um, for, like, five minutes, <laughs> trying to understand each other before we realized, actually, um, <laughs> we were, we both lived about five miles from each other in London. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's interesting to, to hear um, about how you can get by with English. But, yeah, I mean, if you, if you move somewhere, you should try and, uh, learn language, of course, and uh, I feel like you'd be missing out a bit in Paris if you didn't speak French because it's such a cool city with so much going on. Um, very, very cool place. Easy to get lost, uh, I found, but uh, very cool place. Yeah, I can guarantee that uh, you'll be able to order bread or beer, but uh, work, yes, you will be able to, to without <laughs> any French. Uh, je, je voudrais pan. Uh, is, that, is that how you say it? Or is that saying, I am bread? <laughs> uh, yeah, du pain. Uh, you need a, another word. 
would you believe I got a B in high school French? That's how bad our languages are in the UK. <laughs> um, um, I'll need it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so if, some, if someone came to you as a, as a new grad, either from a boot camp or, or university, uh, whether they were in Paris or London or, or mm-hmm. here in Edinburgh, um, what would you advise them to do in 2022 if they want to be a developer and advance their career rapidly? Um, well, there's a lot uh, to, uh, to uncover. So um, do you want to focus on the boot camp use case or, um, or not? I, I think it would be really interesting to hear about both because obviously you, you came from the university side, but then you've hired and mentored people who came from the bootcamp side. So I guess you've seen both. Yes, I, I've seen a bunch. I've seen a bunch of people coming from uh, bootcamps and I've seen uh, uh, great things and uh, less great things. <laughs> um, so the thing is that the bootcamp uh, usually lasts for what, uh, three months at, uh, at most. Yeah, three three months. Some even some even seven weeks. Uh, right. So um, the new hire is not defined by these uh, three months. Uh, they're defined by everything that came before that too. So, uh, for example, I've seen uh, well fresh uh, software engineers uh, who had a background in engineering who had a uh, hard uh, math and physics skills. And uh, after the bootcamp, they killed it. Um, I've also seen uh, business profiles uh, from uh, good French uh, uh, business schools uh, kill the bootcamp and kill the, the beginning of their career. Uh, so kill in, in a good way. Um, and I've also seen uh, bootcamp get- graduates uh, maybe not fail, but uh, be below expectations at the beginning of their career. So uh, really the, the, the flag bootcamp uh, doesn't tell you that much about uh, the, the hire. Um, so um, yeah, you, you have a lot to prove uh, when, you, uh, when you just graduate from, from bootcamp. And uh, well, the question is, uh, how do we prove that? So um, either you find uh, the right opportunity, uh, so you know somebody's ready to uh, to give you that chance um, without any experience, or uh, uh, internships are a good way. I think uh, you did one uh, after the bootcamp. I did, yeah, yeah, um, and uh, I did one b- uh, before as well. In fact, actually, I, I negotiated. Uh, a deal with a startup. I said, I'll be your recruiter four days a week if you let me be your engineer one day a week. And uh, I promise I won't do anything to production. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's a great strategy. Um, yeah, a good friend of mine uh, also um, uh, changed careers uh, to, uh, to, to a bootcamp and uh, he's doing an internship right now. And I'm strongly considering uh, you know, giving him a call and, uh, and try to recruit him uh, in a year or so. Yeah, that um, that that sounds uh, sounds exciting. gives gives the hope for uh, bootcamp grads as well. And it's uh, yeah, as long as you a lot of the time you're hiring for attitude. Um, I think speaking with my recruit ex recruiter hat on here uh, with bootcamp is you hire for the attitude and understand that uh, it's like an investment. You can't expect someone to be able to conquer the world um, when they've just come out of it. But if they're willing to learn and and as we mentioned earlier, accept free feedback graciously and seek out where you can improve, then. 
um, you know, it's it's like finding um, finding a diamond. So um, yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, we, we've talked around what you're working on at the moment, but we haven't actually addressed it. Um, so tell me, what what sales path? Uh, g- give me the give me the elevator pitch. <laughs> The elevator pitch. So uh, Sales Path is the name of the, the, the new startup that we're launching um, uh, with my business uh, associate, business and product. Uh, so Sales Path is, a, um, uh, is in a, the sales uh, enablement industry. Um, so maybe you guys are familiar with, uh, with this term. Uh, basically, uh, sales enablement is um, uh, what allows sales teams to be as productive as possible. Uh, that's the gist. And so what we do is that we um, uh, allow sales teams to manage their, uh, their what we call their playbooks. Uh, so the playbook is the, the set of all their, uh, their elevator pitches. Um, and uh, the thing is that the product that you're going to sell as, as a salesperson uh, depends a lot on who you're talking to. So it might depend on uh, the industry, uh, the, the size of the company you're pitching, uh, whether you're, you're talking to the CEO or the, the CFO or, or anything. And uh, this is a whole lot of information that's usually uh, lost somewhere between, uh, between sales teams uh, and gets lost or, um, or you know, could be very optimized um, because uh, the, the best salespeople have that knowledge while the the tail uh, doesn't. So we uh, build a platform to uh, materialize all this information and uh, allow sales uh, teams to uh, c- collaborate on uh, on this playbook. And the idea is to uh, uh, the big idea is to um, uh, use in, uh, collective intelligence. Uh, to uh, uh, to make that playbook uh, uh, evolve in uh, in a good way. How, how's the experience been of, of being a founding CTO? Um, must have must have learned a lot already. Yeah, so uh, you you'll also get that imposter uh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, whenever you start something new uh, in this industry, uh, even after ten years, I'm pretty sure you, you you'll still feel it. Um, so uh, it's quite. Um, a strange uh, journey because uh, you feel very confident on a bunch of subjects, uh, but there are a whole other bunch of, uh, of things you've never touched. Like, uh, for instance, building the, the, the very basis of the infrastructure. That's something that you will probably not do uh, during your first jobs as a software engineer. Uh, and there are so many decisions that you need to take. Uh, like, uh, where are you going to host your project, AWS or uh, anything, anything else? Um, how are you going to manage it? Is it going to be Terraform or manually or another infrastructure as code tool? Um, what language? Uh, how are you going to organize your front and your back? Is it the same? framework or uh, really two different apps? How do you organize your uh, repos? There are so many decisions that, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you'll, have, you'll have touched on them during your first, uh, your first jobs. But uh, if you haven't started a, a project from scratch, 
um, you'll start to, you'll need to, to get into them. Yeah. It's a lot of things to think about. And I can imagine the jump of like, take my day, for example, there was a bug in some legacy Redux, uh, like tool that I was, um, I had to fix. And, uh, that was just all I was looking at all day, just some Redux stuff. Um, whereas you've probably fired off about 12 different things. You have to think about the architecture and having to think what will this look like in five years time, I guess. Uh, it's a, it sounds like a very interesting challenge and, um, I'm going through the very early bits of that with code career at the moment with the jobs platform. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of can relate to even trying to pick a cloud platform is, is hard enough, let alone all the infrastructure and everything. So, yeah, uh, yeah. that's one of a hundred decisions that you need to make, uh, in the beginning. Uh, so, you know, I, I really felt this, uh, this, uh, overdose of decisions, uh, and then, you know, eventually you, you get there. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a lot to take, uh, to take in, uh, during the, the first, uh, the first month. And I actually, I, I would encourage anybody, uh, who's, you know, a couple of months into their software engineer careers to, um, to try that, try b- uh, building a, a project from scratch and, and host it somewhere. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna learn so much. Absolutely. And um, actually, so, someone who was on a few episodes ago, uh, Christian, who is a, uh, he's a, well, he's a developer himself, but he also has a business where he uh, mentors uh, people that are self-teaching. So instead of going to boot camp, you work with, you work with him, basically. And um, he says uh, that one of the ways he's found that uh, students he works with can stand out is by creating something that is a full-on, full-stack, commercially viable, uh, you know, uh, app application because it's all well and good building a to-do list or the weather checker and all the classics when actually like you say you can go out there and and build a um build something that would be fully commercially useful even if you don't officially launch it um the experience you'd gain from that uh, is uh yeah unparalleled and um i mean if, if someone's maybe a little bit further along and they've been working on something on the side for a while um you've obviously recently gone through that uh decision where you've decided to take the leap um, how do you how do you know when that point is, and what advice would you give to people who are thinking about trying to hit that point? That's a very good question. Um, so um, I think you, you'll never feel ready. Um, I certainly didn't, uh, but um, if you um, if you start talking to people who uh, who uh, who did launch their own uh, companies. Uh, you'll you'll probably at some point uh, see that uh, on a couple of subjects you are you, you know more than them and uh, I know if they did it you should be able to do it um, so you know I don't think there's a I don't think there's a, a way to to verify that you're ready uh, I think it's really down to uh, do you think you have the 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 guts to uh, to, um, to jump um, and I yeah also saying that uh, you, you'll you'll be able to do it um, we find ways and uh, even if there are some uh, some areas of tech that you haven't really touched you'll find the resources you'll find a, uh, somebody to do it for you or, or you'll find a friend who has expertise in this and who can help you it's been the case for me on uh, on DevOps for instance um, so yeah, you, you'll never be ready. Um, 
that's the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And it's a sentiment that's been echoed a number of times on this podcast. And one of what I talked about one of my previous guests again, uh, but he, uh, um, Ben, uh, he was doing, um, uh, I think he was doing photography or, or, or something. Uh, he'll probably correct me when he listens to this. Um, but he, uh, he basically agreed to, um, he agreed to design a website for someone, sort of took the contract and everything and, and code a website, but he'd never really coded before. So you, know, you just have to learn in that situation. Um, so forcing yourself to, like, it's amazing what you can learn if you just confront the reality of, there's no one that's going to do it for me. I, I have to just learn. And entrepreneurship is, is such a good way to do that. And uh, yeah, um, fair play to you for, for going for it. It sounds really exciting. And uh, is it something, did you always want to become an entrepreneur? Like, is it something that has always been a desire or did you decide a few years into your career that you think you would want to strike out? I think it, the idea came uh, when I when I started at Talent, so six years ago. Um, yeah, it just feels it just feels natural um, to you know take some risks. Um, um, I found it uh, a bit too easy to stay uh, in a in a good old uh, nine to five job uh, or you know, ten to seven in my case. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really needed more risks. Uh, that's, that's the main reason I would say. Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. And yeah, I, I, I can see why I could see myself doing the same thing. Uh, cause it is very easy to settle, uh, into, uh, particularly in a, uh, industry like ours where the compensation's good. Um, you know, things are kind of in our favor. It's very easy to settle into, um, in, into, into the nine to five or 10 to seven. Uh, when actually there's, you know, opportunities out there. But, uh, you know, it, it, I'd always regret not taking the risk, I think, uh, if I didn't do it. Um, but yeah, uh, but I can I can relate for sure. And you mentioned about hiring. Um, you're, uh, you're hiring at the moment for Sales Path, right? I am indeed. Can, uh, can you tell a little bit about uh, the kind of um, profiles you're, you're looking for? Yeah. So uh, I know a bit about hiring because the talent are yeah, <laughs> uh, that's Dante's business. So I got that going on for me. Uh, but really, hiring is uh, is tough in this industry, uh, which is the reason why uh, pretty much everybody uh, who uh, who's motivated enough uh, will find a spot uh, after a boot camp or a, a regular dev school. Um, so in my case. Uh, I'm looking for uh, uh, engineers with about uh, three or four years of experience uh, and an intern. Um, and uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, the technologies are the, the last of my criteria. So really, I'm looking for uh, you know, motivated, smart people. That's how good companies start. Um, in uh, Paris uh probably 50 percent remote very uh very exciting so uh all, all, all my french listeners um please do uh please do check it out and all the links uh will be um in the in the description so uh obviously i, I imagine um sales path is the vast majority of what you're working on at the moment um but has there been anything else that you want to shout out that you've been working on or, or anything like that uh yeah well i'm still actually uh, working for talents so uh, uh half and half, which is, uh, which is tough, but it'll, it'll be over in, uh, in two weeks. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, no side project. Uh, well, that's already a side project, sales path, but that's about to become the main project. project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, no side project. There's um, maybe one thing I'd like to touch on um, uh, about the previous uh, previous conversation about whether whether you'll feel ready or not. Um, so. Uh, f- for newcomers in this industry, you'll you'll, you'll find that um, it's huge. Like the number of things that you need to learn is huge, and you'll never know uh, everything. Uh, the tech industry is a is a pyramid with many many layers, and uh, when you when you come out of a boot, of a, of a, of a boot camp, uh, you know a tenth of the top player. And as you progress, uh, you'll you'll get broader and deeper into the pyramid. Uh, but uh, as at, at any point, you 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 only know uh, uh, parts of that pyramid. So um, uh, your quality as an engineer is to uh, be able to adapt to uh, new stuff. Uh, so one once you uh, once you feel confident that you can learn anything that's that's when you you feel ready i think that that makes a lot makes a lot of sense once you're once you, once you're comfortable then you know that that's when you know um and uh, particularly with progression um i find it's good to be uh i'm not a runner but a, a phrase i've heard uh, runners use is um is being comfortable being uncomfortable and i think that's a good good kind of uh saying for your software engineering career like if you're always uh, not to the point of burning out, but you're always just a little bit out of your comfort zone. Uh, it's uh, some of the best ways to progress. And like you say, know when you're uh, ready to make the jump. Yeah, yeah. You should know that you don't know, but you should also know that you you will be able to know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like the uh, it's almost like the bell curve chart of. Um, I mean, it's not a bell curve, but the, the way it looks of what you think you know versus what you know you don't know. And as a well, as someone who's now a mid-level, I guess I'm in the the most arrogant portion where I think I know everything. But a senior developer knows what they don't know, and a junior developer knows what they don't know. Is the is yeah, the <laughs> yeah. At some point, you feel like a god, and the, and the next day, uh, you feel like an infant. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that a little bit too well. Um, a little bit too well, particularly with my Redux stuff recently. Um, working on working on some old uh, old code um, for the first time in a long time. So uh, yeah, that's been been an interesting experience. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was uh, great to catch up and really interesting to hear about what you're working on. Uh, what what's the best way to get in touch with you if people either want to find out um, about Sales Path either as a as a potential customer or of course if they're interested in the vacancies you described. Well, you can join me easily on uh, on LinkedIn or uh, or by email. On LinkedIn, uh, you'll find me. Uh, the name is Matthew uh, Liber. Uh, it's going to be tough to to uh, to spell. Um, <laughs> well, it'll be in the uh, it'll be in the podcast <laughs> name, and um, I uh, it, it's L I B E E R. Or have I got that completely wrong? No, you got it right. Ah, what can I say? <laughs> so yeah, I, I I read my LinkedIn now. Uh, I haven't for uh, for five years, so I had probably like uh, hundreds of uh, uh, recruiters reaching out uh, that have never heard from me. That's that's pretty bad. Uh, but now that I'm that I am hiring, uh, I do read my messages. <laughs> 
so, sounds good. And uh, if it, yeah, if if you haven't got it from the podcast already, then uh, uh, listener, then um, it's it's always worth having a conversation uh, with you because uh, even even I'm sure you're always happy to give people sort of advice, even if it's not something where it would be the perfect fit right now. Yeah, I'll be happy to give anybody advice. I think that really the the tech industry needs it. Uh, there is a, a, a lack of developers. Uh, an extreme lack of developers, so anybody is welcome. And uh, and yeah, senior ones should help the junior ones. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, on that note, thanks again for coming on. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, um, looking forward to uh, to catching up uh, catching up again soon. And thank you as well to the listeners uh, for tuning in for another week of Code Grip. Thank you so much, Camilla.